0: Thanks for popping on your headphones and joining us for an episode of ballsy history, a podcast about big personalities and little known stories. Settle in for a tour of the outrageous acts, incredible stories, and outsized characters that shape history. We're your hosts, Elizabeth, Elise, Elliot, and Maureen. We're glad you're tuning in. Today on our show, we'll learn about America's first black female vice presidential candidate. Running on a platform of peace and prosperity, Charlotta Bass and her running mate campaigned with the slogan, Win or lose, we win by raising the issues. She was groundbreaking in many ways, yet isn't even a household name. In fact, her name isn't even on her gravestone. It only mentions her husband. It's time to learn more about Charlotta Bass.
1: Charlotta was a staunch advocate for civil liberties, women's rights, and immigration. Because of her civil rights work, her life was threatened numerous times. Additionally, the FBI placed her under surveillance, leading to files several binders thick, and they labeled her a communist. She had a long career as editor and publisher of the West Coast's oldest black newspaper, the California Eagle, and used her platform to push for hospitals to hire black nurses and to fight against racist housing covenants. Her work and life helped create a path for many others to follow.
0: Charlotta was born in Sumter, South Carolina around 1880 to Kate and Hiram Spears, descendants of enslaved people. The sixth of 11 children, not much is known about her childhood. After high school, in order to escape the Jim Crow South, she moved to Providence, Rhode Island to live with one of her brothers. This is where she had her first brush with the news biz, landing a job selling ads for the Providence Watchmen, a black owned newspaper. She enrolled at Pembroke, the woman's college that is now part of Brown University, but because of health issues, she decided to cross the country and headed to Los Angeles with its promise of a better life. Charlotta began working for $5 a week at the California Eagle, an African-American newspaper that was published from 1879 to 1964. John James Nemore established the paper in Los Angeles as the California Owl in 1879 to ease Black settlers' transition to the West providing housing notices, job postings, and other information essential to surviving in a new city. The paper's office was on Central Avenue, a neighborhood full of churches, clubs, and Black-owned businesses, the home of the West Coast jazz scene, and the Eagle chronicled it all. When Nemoor became ill, he asked Charlotta to run the paper after his death. Who had ever heard of a woman running a newspaper? Bass wrote in her autobiography, it was the talk of the town. As it turned out, this black founded newspaper was owned by a white man who offered his support only if Charlotta would become his sweetheart. She told him, Get out, you dirty dog, and borrowed fifty dollars from a local junk man to purchase the deed. Bass became the owner, editor, and publisher using the newspaper to advance a range of social justice causes for 40 years. She hired an experienced editor, formerly of the Topeka Plain Dealer. The man, J.B. Bass, would become her husband in 1914. They grew the eagle into the largest circulation black newspaper on the West Coast. And, after her husband's death in 1934, she would run the paper solely for roughly two decades more. In the pages of the Eagle, Bass announced the Hollywood production of The Birth of a Nation, 1915, which glorified the Ku Klux Klan and, in the 1930s, endorsed a campaign known as Don't Spend Where You Can't Work, urging readers to boycott stores that refused to hire black employees and fought against racist housing covenants. She often reported on racial injustices and police brutality, with front-page headlines like, Trigger Happy Cop Freed After Slaying Youth. More than once, her views made her a target. In 1925, after she wrote of a clandestine plot by the Ku Klux Klan to stage a car accident involving local Black leaders, Klan members showed up at her office one night. Bass pulled a pistol out of her desk, although she hadn't used one before, and was able to convince the hooded intruders to exit. Incidents like this one led her husband to tell her, Mrs. Bass, one of these days you're going to get me killed. Mr. Bass, she replied, it will be in good cause. Under her direction, the Eagle printed a KKK letter outlining a strategy to manipulate the Black vote. The KKK stood for libel, but the Basses won the lawsuit.
2: Between 1926 to 27, Bass moved to New York to take generalism classes at Columbia University. When she returned, she created a new editorial column on the sidewalk, showcasing her singular voice and point of view. By the mid-1930s, Bass had the newspaper she had worked so hard toward, one that took important editorial stands and had a steady circulation of around 60,000. Bass and her husband were early officers in the Los Angeles unit of Marcus Garvey's Universal Negro Improvement Association. Originally, she was a Republican, but voted for Democrat President Franklin D. Roosevelt. In 1936, She later denounced both parties for neglecting black and women's rights. She became an independent and later a member of the Progressive Party. Throughout her life, she faced accusations that she was a communist, or a communist sympathizer at the very least, prompting the FBI to keep close tabs on her. The status as disloyal prompted the California NAACP to tear up her membership card and Iota Phi Lamba, a black sorority, to revoke her honorary membership. In fact, her international travel was restricted and CIA agents followed her overseas conferences. Many of Bass's beliefs, civil rights, organized labor, and universal health care are familiar to us today. At the time, they were considered radical. Bass first entered politics in the 1940s. She ran for Los Angeles City Council under the slogan, Don't Fence Me In, the title of a popular song by Cole Porter. She repurposed this to condemn housing discrimination. In 1947, she helped found the Independent Progressive Party of California and ran an unsuccessful bid for Congress in 1950. She sold the Eagle in 1951 and co-founded Sojourners for Truth and Justice, a black women's group. They were inspired by the intersectional activism of Sojourner Truth a century before and acted as a black women's human rights organization during the height of the Cold War's McCarthyism. The group mobilized against post-war American racism, wrote critiques of US foreign policy during the Cold War, and sought to expose human rights violations against African-Americans before the newly formed United Nations. They proclaimed, in the spirit of Harriet Tubman and Sojourner Truth, we demand the death of Jim Crow. In 1952,
1: she and lawyer Vincent Hallihan launched their White House bid on a platform of peace and prosperity. With this, she became the first black female vice-presidential candidate. Hallinan was best known for his defense of Harry Bridges, a union leader who is convicted of perjury for denying being a communist, a verdict later overturned by the Supreme Court. During the trial, Hallinan was sentenced to six months in jail for contempt of court, and he was still there when the 1952 campaign began. So Bass campaigned alone until he was released. Her platform called for civil rights, women's rights, ending the Korean War, and peace with the Soviet Union. Bass's slogan was, Win or lose, we win by raising the issues. She was endorsed by Paul Robeson, W.E.B. Du Bois, and Ada B. Jackson during her run. Although they did not win, she made history. Eventually, She retired to what was then a black resort town, Lake Elsinore, where she turned her garage into a community reading room and voter registration site. Bass summed up her life with these words. In public, in private, wherever I have heard the challenge, the call for a greater effort, the need for further struggle, I have continued to this day to work and fight and struggle toward the light of a better day. In 1966, Bass had a stroke and retired to a Los Angeles nursing home. In 1967, at the age of 91, the FBI still classified Charlotta Bass as a potential security threat. She is reported to have died of a cerebral hemorrhage on April 12, 1969. Let's remember and share the story of one of the most influential black women of the early 20th century who is driven by her energy around civil rights, an energy that was nationally galvanizing. Tune in again soon. Thanks for joining us today at Ballsy History.